Hey guys, it's Chris. When we first started the podcast, we received a lot of feedback about me vaping in the background. I took that criticism, and with the help of Nin Tobacco Free Nicotine Pouches, we are now a vape-free podcast. Nin Tobacco Free Pouches are made without the use of tobacco and all the negative chemicals that come with it. Nin Pouches come in two strengths, both 3mg and 6mg, and five wonderful flavors. Cinnamon, Wintergreen, Spearmint, Coolmint, and Citrus Chill. I started out with their five flavor trial pack, but my favorite is the Citrus Chill. So with the help of Nin Pouches, I can finally make a podcast without the annoying sounds. Nin Pouches are definitely the modern way to enjoy nicotine. Nin Pouches are made for adult users and contain tobacco-free nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. And we're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. I hope everybody had a great holiday. We're looking forward to 2022 and spending it every Wednesday with our listeners. I mean, are you really looking forward to 2022? I sure am. I'm not, because 2022 is going to be the same as 2019, 2020, 2021. Except that I married you. I married you in the pandemic you. sucks, I'll give you that. But the last couple years have not been that bad. I mean, they've been good, but... We have been very blessed. I'm ready, I'm ready to, for it all to be back to normal. I'm sure our listeners are too. I, I think we have to get used to the fact that there's going to be a new normal that will never quite be how it was before. Well, but I, I do see COVID turning, like, it seems to be turning more into, like, the flu. Well, as long as they don't take away my self-checkouts and my... You know, be able to call in my order and pick it up from Walmart. I was going to say, there's there's some good things that came out of it for some of us. I know a lot of, there's a lot of people that don't like those things, but there's a lot of people that do, so. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we are going to celebrate the end of the year with you right now with a the last story of the year. And it's a story uh, bringing us back to Illinois. Springfield, Illinois, to be exact. There's so, a party going uh, Whenever on. you're ready, Chris, we'll start. I'm ready. You done singing? Mm-hmm. Okay. He's not. <laughs> See? I knew it. <laughs> on a single... <laughs> this is a serious topic, dude. I know. Well, we're not into the serious part of it yet. We're still in the intro. Oh, good lord. On a steamy August day in 1999, people outside a movie theater in Springfield, Illinois, heard the cries of a baby from inside the vehicle. So, the movie theater was in a strip mall with a bunch of shops next like, door to it. Like an outlet center? Kind of, yeah. Like a shopping center? So, the... Like mall? Are you done? Like, you're just intent on irritating me today. So, the Jeep seemed to be abandoned. There were no keys in the car there were no adults in the car and here's this baby in this hot sweltering car like august the hottest month of the year 
and this kid is just screaming. There's a special place in hell that for people that like forget their kids in their car. Like, I can't remember a time where it's like I would have been like, Oh, I forgot my baby in the car. Like, if you're too preoccupied with other things that you're decided that, oh, I forgot that I have this life in the back seat that I must protect at all costs, then you need to start, like, hashing out what your priorities are. Right. And, I mean, that's what people thought when they saw this baby. Like, the mom and dad or whomever was taking care of this baby must be inside one of these stores, and they left this baby out here in the hot car. A woman that was interviewed by the news, she said, you know, I was there for a few minutes. We called 911. We're waiting for police to get there. She's like, but I just couldn't take it anymore. So she um, smashed the window and got the child out of the car. Oh, I would smash a window for kids and kids and pups. Like, kids and dogs get an instant window break from me. I don't care if the car is running, the door's unlocked. I'm smashing the window because you're a dick. Yeah. So... She gets the baby out, and the baby seems to be fine. I mean, she's overheated a little bit, but she seems to be fine. But they couldn't figure out, like, where the parents were. So when the police get there, they run a check on the car, and they find out that it belongs to a couple that live in nearby Auburn, and it's Brad and Lori Hayes. But where are Brad and Lori Hayes? You know, they search the the shopping mall and the movie theater and they they can't find them. Um, They learn later that from family that Brad Hayes is out of town and that Lori was with her daughter. But nobody knows what happened to her. She just like disappeared. Weird, huh? It is weird. So let's talk a little bit about Lori. Lori was born Lori Kotzbauer. I hope I pronounced that right. I think it would be Kutzbauer. But, I mean, that's K-O-T-Z-B-A-U-E-R. You you decide. Um, And she was born in 1974 in Indiana. She eventually moved with her family to Kentucky and graduated from Tate's, Tate's Creek High School and then the University of Kentucky. She married Brad Hayes, and the couple moved to the Springfield, Illinois area, uh, presumably for Brad's work, I believe. Mm-hmm. They bought a house in nearby Auburn, and they settled down and decided to start a family. Lori took a job for the state of Illinois in the kid care program, so I mean, she's got a really good job. And pretty soon, they welcomed a daughter, Alexis, in early 1999. Friends and family later said that Brad and Lori's marriage struggled a little bit after Alexis was born. But, I mean, whose relationship doesn't struggle after the first kid? You know? It's like, that's pretty normal. Yeah, that's, I mean, I have yet to meet new parents, like, with your first baby that aren't stressed to the max. Exactly. Like, you don't realize what no sleep is until you have a kid, had a kid. Right. And then having to be an adult on top of it. Right. Um... But 25-year-old Lori seemed to be generally happy with her life. She was happy with her husband. She was delighted with her baby. Her family describes her as a very nurturing and caring mother. And they said she never would have left Alexis in the car. Never. Brad's career did take him out at times um, out of town and left Lori alone with Alexis for days at a time. And that's what happened on this fateful day in August. 
Um, Brad was actually out of town in Colorado, and Lori's mother had driven up from Kentucky and stayed with Lori for a few days while Brad was out of town to help her with the baby. Uh, earlier that morning, her mom decided to leave, and she was kind of like, well, I don't really know if I should. Maybe I should wait till Brad comes back. And Lori told her, you know, just go. It's fine. He'll be home later today. Me and Alexis are going to go do some right. shopping. So Lori's mother leaves for Kentucky, and Lori is getting ready to take Alexis and go do some shopping in Springfield. So later that day, the authorities responded to the, the strip mall parking lot outside the movie theater because they received that call about that abandoned child. And police, you know, they weren't sure what they were dealing with. They thought, you know, probably the same thing that a lot of the passerbyers thought, that this mom or dad or whomever had left this baby out in the car. Um, but when they got there, they noticed some things that were really strange. So they, like I said earlier, they ran the plates. They knew it belonged to Brad and Lori Hayes. But this is what was weird. So Lori's purse and wallet were still in the vehicle. So that kind of brings out this thing that she might be in a store. Yeah. Obviously, she's not. Um, and then they also found specks of blood near the trunk of the car. So that's a concern. Yeah. You know, this doesn't seem like just an abandoned child now. There's something sinister. And, you know, they got to figure it out. Like, well, what happened? Where's the mother of this child? So please go to the home of Brad and Lori Hayes. And shortly after they get there, Brad shows up. Um, he comes into the garage and he's wearing like a baseball cap and like clothes that you would wear to go play baseball. Okay. So police approach him and they ask him where his wife is and he says, well, you know, I don't know. I just got home from a, a trip to Denver, Colorado for work. And he said, as soon as I got home, I went to play baseball with some friends and out at the baseball field. So that's why he's in his baseball hat and all this clothes. So, the police thought that was sort of odd. Like, if you would come home from a business trip and you would immediately leave and go play baseball. Mm -hmm. You know, and then if you think back to it, you know, when people said that Lori and Brad were having problems, I mean, as a new mom, that would probably piss me off. Right. If you just got home and you leave again. So, but that doesn't necessarily ring, mm -hmm. like, alarm bells to right. me. And especially, like, he saw that she wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... Yeah, he's like, okay, well, she's not here. I'm going to go do this. You yeah. Know? So, you know, he explains that this was not something unusual for him. He said that there weren't any issues in his marriage, but the police are considering him right now as a person of interest in the disappearance of his wife. But they really couldn't prove anything yet. They couldn't even really prove that she was missing right. yet. A witness told authorities that he saw someone driving Lori's vehicle near the mall. And this is what kind of spooks the police a little bit. He says that the person that was driving the vehicle was wearing a baseball cap. Well, that's not, I mean, 100%, but that's getting closer. Yeah, so it's starting to look kind of suspicious for Brad. And the detectives Don't are... Don't be suspicious. Well, the detectives are being very suspicious right. at this point. Um, they're not sure what's going on. If the marital problems were too much, you know, maybe he didn't want his wife and child anymore, but couldn't, you know, bring himself to do something to Alexis. They just didn't know. 
Um, they questioned him again, but they really weren't able to uncover anything that they could use. Nothing that would prove his involvement. And they actually were able to solidify his alibi. He was in Colorado and he was playing baseball. There wasn't a lot of time in between for him to have done anything to his wife. Right. And he willingly provides a DNA sample. The police officer... Um, Police officers, they go back out and they just, they're searching high and low trying to find Lori Hayes. One of the officers was on a patrol and he noticed that there was some areas of a cornfield out on a remote highway that appeared to have some fresh, like, run over kind of tracks. Not right. like by a vehicle, but just like somebody had walked over it and right. like smashed them down. So he just gets like this wild hunch and decides he's going to follow these tracks. So he followed these, follows these tracks several, several yards, um, quite a ways into the field. And there he finds the deceased body of 25-year-old Lori Hayes. Her cause of death was pretty evident. She had a gunshot wound to her head. Her wedding ring was still on, so the investigators thought that that, along with her wallet and purse still being in her vehicle, sort of ruled out a robbery. Yeah, that pretty much tells you that that's not motivated by money. Right. And so she's transported and an autopsy is performed. The autopsy showed evidence of sexual assault and there was semen that was collected and processed for DNA. So that's kind of crazy already, right? Right. I mean... I don't know if I would see run-down pieces of a cornfield and think to go search there. Right. But I guess that's why he's a police officer. Right. <laughs> you know, his his skill set's a little bit different. Um, the family is just devastated. Now, meanwhile, Alexis is in foster care or... Um, not really foster care, but she's under the custody of the Department of Children and Family right. Services. She's, she's a warden of the state at this point. Well, because they don't know what's going on. Now, my thought, I would think that Brad could have probably easily got that overthrown. There was nothing to connect him. Right. But it's whatever. You know, they, well, they keep her under Child Protective Services so they can figure out what's going on. Plus, I'm sure she had right. to go to the hospital and get checked out. After being left in that hot car. Right. Probably dehydrated and things like that. Um, but after the devastating news that Lori was deceased, they began to run the DNA test because, as I said, Brad willingly gave his DNA. They compare it to the semen found on Lori's body, and Brad is exonerated. He was not Lori's killer or the one who sexually assaulted her. But did he pay for t- someone to kill her well let's talk about that when they ran that dna though it did not match brad but it did match an open case okay very recently a real estate agent reported that she had been raped she was showing a house to a male client and he followed her in the house and then he locked the door he frisked her like a cop would frisk you he confiscated her phone, and then he raped her. So the real estate agent 
believed that as they were leaving the house that he was going to take her somewhere and kill her. She firmly believed that. So she was pretty savvy. And she lets him walk out the door first. And then as soon as he's out the front door, she hurries up and closes that door and locks it and calls 911. Good. And so, of course, then, you know, she gets the whole workup that a, a sexual assault victim gets and the DNA goes to the system. And here we are a few weeks, months later, and Lori's body has the same DNA as the rapist. Well, at least now we have a who. Right. Or, <laughs> we at least know, like, we can have stuff to connect the person if we need to. So. Right. Without any other leads in Lori's case, the authorities begin to focus on the rape case since the DNA links the two crimes. So the theory is, we solved the rape, we solved the murder. Right. And we may have more to go on with the rape because we have an eyewitness who survived. They learned that the real estate agent reported um, that there was another real estate agent, rather, that reported an attempted rape. While she was able to escape... She provided a description for a sketch artist and recorded a voicemail that the perpetrator had left her requesting to go see the houses. Both real estate agents told police something that really troubled them. The man had secured both women and, like, frisked them like a police officer would. Right. So now they're starting to get suspicious. Like, was one of their Uh own police officers responsible for this rape and murder, these rapes and murder? Right. Another officer came forward and told detectives that the sketch matched a rape subject that she had recently arrested. The man's photo was put in a lineup and he was identified by the real estate agent as her rapist. Hmm. The plot tick dickens. Yeah. The detective spoke with the man. He was already facing charges for a different sexual assault, but he was pretty adamant that he had nothing to do with it. And he voluntarily gave his DNA. So the police are thinking they got their guy. Right. Right? I mean, the eyewitness has identified him. They run the DNA, and it's not a match to the rape or the murder. Well, I mean, at least, I mean... He was already on charges for some kind of sexual assault, so... He looked like a likely suspect. The M.O. fit, you know, so... Yeah. If not for DNA, he probably would have been convicted of everything. Yep. If we didn't have DNA testing. He was a victim of mistaken identification, and so, you know, it kind of looks like... It kind of just makes you think, like, how many people were ID'd by victims... Falsely. And not that I think the victims did it on purpose, but just eyewitness accounts are not as good as people think they are. We went over this a while ago. Um, Then something crazy happened. A woman who worked at a local security agency recognized the sketch and she thought it looked like one of her co-workers. So normally you would do what? You would call like Crime Stoppers or or something? Or 911, you know, something. Yeah. No. She decides she's going to do her own investigation. So she pulls his photo ID out of his employee file. She has a friend that works in the real estate business. And so she asks her friend, you know, like, who is this real estate agent that was victimized? And she figures out who the victim is. She tracks down this victim. 
And she says, I understand you were assaulted. I want to show you a picture. Tell me if this is your rapist. We're going to do a timeout real real quick. If you think that any of your loved ones have been raped or involved or have been the victim of a serious crime, do not, please do not do your own investigations. No. Like, we're going to see real quick in the, like, I read ahead a little bit. That's why I'm doing the interruption. We're going to see real quick what happens with shit whenever people are like, oh, hey, yeah, I know that guy. Hey, is this the guy? Yeah. Yeah, that's the guy. Oh, hey. So what's the worst that could happen, right? Right. You know, only, you know, overturning a verdict, not becoming admissible in court, you know, the guy getting off scot-free because also because he wasn't read his rights or, you know, a whole slew of other things, you know, because... Yeah, there's a reason why I've paid investigators. Don't be a vigilante. Unless you're Batman. Hey guys, it's Gina. If you're looking to fill the time between Midwest Crime Files episodes, we have a podcast recommendation for you. It's called Clark After Dark, a true crime podcast. It features Teresa and Alan Clark, a married couple that focus on killer couples, which is kind of cool. It's very cool. Their first episode is actually about Canadian killer couple Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo, aka the Ken and Barbie Killers. And I know Chris probably hasn't heard of that story, but it's a good one. Yeah, I've never heard of it. And the good thing about this is they bring the same energy that Gina and I do. They're funny, they're humorous, they're lighthearted. A little sarcasm here and there. Right. And then, of course, it's a married couple, so there's always a little bit of that back and forth banter. And so if you guys enjoy what you guys hear from Gina and I, you're going to love Clark After Dark. Absolutely. They're a newer podcast, but you can listen to them anywhere you currently listen to podcasts. And so just check them out. Clark After Dark, a true crime podcast. Okay, so our sleuth here that's doing her own investigation, she approaches this real estate agent and shows the picture of her coworker. and the real estate agent says, yeah, that's him. That's the guy who raped me. Now, mind you, she's already mistakenly identified one man. And because this wannabe investigator did not do things the proper way, this ID was not ever going to be admissible. Nope. Because what do you do with an ID the right way? You have a variety of photos that are shown in a series or at the same time, or if it's a live photo, it's a lineup. You never show a su- uh, witness, rather, one, one photo, photo. Because you then put it in their head that that's the person. <sighs> so... She may have blew the entire investigation. Yep. But when she contacts police, they want to investigate her co-worker because now they're victims saying it was him. And it's a man named Dale Lash. Police bring Dale Lash in for questioning. He admits that he had consensual sex with a real estate agent, but insists that he never raped or killed anyone. Dale Lash's brother was brought in, and they asked his brother to listen to the voicemail from the other real estate agent that had been attempted, attempted. Well, she was she was raped, but the possible attempted murder. Well, the first one that was right. not assaulted. 
This is a different one. This oh. is one that was not assaulted. She was able to escape before she was assaulted. Okay. But she had the voicemail. So uh, Dale's brother listens to the voicemail and he says, yeah, that's my brother. That's my brother's voice. I'm sure of it. Dale's ex-girlfriend is brought in and she tells police that Dale is very sexually aggressive, very sexually abusive. And then they put the other piece together. Dale's co-worker works with him at a security agency. Dale's a security guard. So he would be familiar with frisking and securing a suspect like the rapist did. So even though the ID was not admissible and could not be used against him, this other evidence was enough circumstantial evidence for a search warrant of his home and to gather his DNA sample. So the DNA test comes back and it's a match to the real estate agent's rape and the rape and murder of Lori Hayes. When confronted, Dale says, quote, I'm fucked, end quote. Yeah, you're fucked, all right. Dale oh. was arrested for the rape of the real estate agent and the rape and murder of Lori Hayes. He was convicted of a total of five counts of aggravated sexual assault, one count armed robbery, one count of aggravated unlawful restraint, and one count of aggravated sexual assault with a firearm, one count of aggravated vehicle hijacking with a firearm, and one count of murder. So I think they should have charged him with child endangerment too. Yeah, I mean, but it's one of those things where it's like, he he's already got all this. Yeah. Like, the child endangerment is, what, going to maybe put an extra year on it? Uh, I think you give him anything you can. So, what police theorize happened is that he was looking for victims, and because the last two real estate agents had actually survived, right? Um, you know, he didn't feel confident trying with another real estate agent so he decided to kind of go on a random person that he met and he he went rogue and yeah found Lori Hayes and didn't realize there was going to be a baby in the back of that car right he took Lori and he raped her and he murdered her and he put her in that field and then he didn't know what to do with baby Alexis in the car so he parked the car in the parking lot and hoped somebody would hear her. And if not, then I guess she just would have been another victim. I want to think this all stems from a baby and a car. Yep. And just shows you that it's not a good thing to mind your own business. Because right. you never know what that situation is. If people had just, you know, 1999 was like, now I think we hear about babies and hot cars a lot more. You know, but back then, people may not have thought anything of it and just been like, God, what a horrible person, and went on with their day. But thank God somebody took care of that baby. And, you know, the police were relieved to have Dale Lash because they were starting to think that this officer that just happened to stumble upon Lori's, um, you know, where she had been murdered, 
they were starting to wonder if he wasn't the one that did it. Yeah. Because it was looking like a cop did it, and it was so improbable that he would have found her. Right. You know, but he says he believes that God led him there. Right. And, you know, that this was just destiny, and he was supposed Divine to find invention. her. Right. Um, Dale Lash is found guilty on every single count, and he is sentenced to death. Yeah, but it's Illinois. Yes. Before... But it's Illinois. Before 2003. Yes. So we all know what happened in 2003, but we're going to say it again. Illinois Governor George Ryan commuted all death sentences in the state of Illinois to life in prison, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) So George Ryan makes this blanket commutation, and another piece of shit gets to live his life in prison. Dale Lash is currently serving life in prison plus 135 years for his crimes. So his heart could technically stop, he could die, and he still has 135 years. I just, I don't, okay. So there's a key thing, like, he's also ineligible for parole. That's something. Correct. So, so his whole sentence is a life in prison without parole plus 135 years. Yeah. What the fuck is the point of um, the extra 135? So the 135 years come from his other crimes. So if somehow he would be able to get... His sentence for oh, the murder okay. I overturned. Get, we talked about this yes. before. He still has I 135 years. I so get it. He's yeah. not going home, even if they somehow or, overthrew his murder if, conviction. If he somehow became eligible for, for parole for some... Right. Like if another governor has a stupid brain fart. Okay. That's... Yeah. I remember us having... Because I, I know we, t- we had talked about this before, and I'm like... Damn it, I know this. Yeah. But I don't know. Now, you know, there was a prisoner a long time ago, and and I'll have to tell you, I did not research this, so I don't know all the ins and outs, but I remember it happening. He had gone into cardiac arrest, was technically pronounced dead. Yeah, and he sued because he's like, I served a life sentence. Right. And then he was revived, and he sued, and I don't know if he won or lost. I don't remember. I'm sure he lost. You know, I'm he sure tried was... to say, like, I served my life sentence. I was dead. Well, and, like, and that's what I, you know, like, if, okay, if some people have cardiac arrest, it's maybe a minute, two minutes, something like that. Yeah. But if they're gone for, like, 30 minutes and they come back to life. They're not coming back to life. They're coming back to be. A vegetable. But yeah. I'm just saying, technically I served a life sentence. Yeah. I was technically dead. But now you're alive, so tough shit. That's what I would say. Well, I can't be, I can't, you know, you can't freaking get me on the same charge twice. Yeah. Technically, this is a new life. Yeah, technically not. You're still the same person with the same social security yeah, number. But, and yeah, but I threw up. You're I, not zero years old, so. But I threw up my extra life coin. Yeah. And like, I cashed I, in. I, I'm going to say I cashed no. In, I cashed in my one up <laughs> from a Mario. Yeah, I don't think that works like that. Okay. But he is ineligible for parole. Um, Despite all that, his punishment really pales in comparison to the pain and trauma that he caused his victims. And, you know, not to mention Brad being under suspicion. You know, he finally was reunited with his baby daughter. But now there's this baby girl that has to live her whole life without her mother. Right. You know, and how devastating. Well, and this one was really looking like, like, the way... I thought it was, it was really pointing toward the husband. Right, at first. Like, kind of a troubled marriage. He goes away, comes back, starts playing bass, like, instantly plays baseball. They see a guy driving around with a baseball cap on. It's like, not looking good. Oh, methinks. 
But this is one of those things where, like, DNA evidence was a crucial factor in it. Right. Or you know? this other... Or, I don't want to say this other poor sap, because this other poor sap, I think, was already facing other right. sexual assault charges. But this other piece of crap would have probably done the time for a crime that he and, didn't commit, even though he obviously did commit something else. And this but. and Dale would have been off scot-free. Yeah. To, to I mean... Continue being and, a piece of crap. And I wonder if, if that's the only ones he's ever done. Probably not. You know? Probably not. I would say probably not. And this is a case where a baby in a hot car turned out to be much more than a careless parent. It turned out to be a horrific murder. And the way it was solved to me is still so crazy. Like, what she did was not right. She may have compromised this case. If they didn't have DNA to nail him, she would have probably screwed their whole case. Right. You know, but her hunch just proves that, like, well, if you even have a thought or a suspicion, even if you're not sure, tell the police. Well, and even the cop that found Lori's body. Mm-hmm. Like, if you would have been driving down that one road and been like, hmm, that corn looks a little weird. Like, how many times have right. we driven? There's so many reasons why cornfields get screwed up, you know? Right. How many deer have run in and out of those cornfields? Right. Like, I, I drive by, we, you know, in the summer... We drive by thousands of cornfields in Southern I wouldn't Illinois. even be looking that close. No. But I guess as an investigator, knowing somebody was missing. But he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't, like, invest- he was just on patrol. Yeah, he wasn't a detective. But, I mean, like, still, this he is knows just a there's random- somebody missing. Maybe there's something a little weird. But, yeah, it was very random, very odd. It was like a one in a million that he even would have found right. her body that quickly. Enough for them to be able to get the DNA evidence. Right. It's crazy. Um, and there's a picture. That's Dale Ash, babe. What do you think? Mm, creepy. Yeah, he's creepy to me. Like he just looks. He yeah. just got that like, her. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. Yeah, I just. Uh, he's kind of gross looking. Not gonna lie. It's just this whole story to me is crazy. It is very. Crazy. And to think that it happened like right here. Right. You know. Um, if you guys want the list of references to see the pictures and read the blog post, you can go to our website, www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. Make sure you like and follow us on Facebook. And as we go into 2022, if you want access to our exclusive patron-only episodes, we encourage you to become a patron. You can do so for as little as $1 a month. One dollar a day can help sponsor, or one dollar a month can help sponsor a podcast that's in desperate need. <laughs> You're a mess. We need to get what's her name? What's the one that always does the Africa commercials? Oh come on, it's the famous girl from the seventies. I have no idea who you're talking about. When you guys listen to this, you guys gotta. I want Facebook that that I can't remember. Like that's always like the most depressing commercials ever at the like at midnight. And the starving kids in Africa for one dollar a day, you can get them a, a meal for the whole month. It's like, what kind? Of, what are you eating for a dollar a month? Like, damn! I like, know what commercial you're talking about, but I don't know it's which famous, celebrity you're talking about. I, I think she was a Charlie's Angel. Uh, I can't remember. It'll pop. It'll pop in my head as soon as we get done recording, or else I'm gonna look it up. And <laughs> but we got a lot of stuff planned for you guys in this upcoming year. Um. And before we go, anybody that listens all the way through to this episode, we're going to give you a coupon code for our store. 
and the coupon code is all caps is new year and that will get you 10% off any item you would choose yeah and you know like we said in last week's post or last week's post like last week's episode you know we are in the works trying to do we're we're making this podcast do good yes you know and like i said as recording it's the 22nd and we just we can't talk about it yet right Everything i mean is still we fresh. want we want the podcast you know now that we are starting to be able to fund our you know <laughs> our fees for our um hosting and things like that once the podcast pays for itself, we want it to go towards something to help victims and to help families of victims. Right. So we're working on something kind of big, yeah. and that's something else to look forward to in yeah. 2022. I mean, we'll have a happy new year. We will see you on the flip side. Yep, we'll see you guys in 2022. Bye. Bye.